Welcome to the PMPA Speaking of Precision podcast, featuring your hosts, Carly Kistler-Miller and Miles Free. Hello, I'm Miles Free, and welcome to PMPA's Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles podcast. Carly Kistler-Miller has joined me today, and we are going to discuss workmanship. Welcome, Carly. Well, thank you, Miles. So, what kind of take are we talking about when we're talking about workmanship? Are we talking about the person, the the product, the process? Well, let's talk about workmanship from the market's point of view. Okay. I remember a very formative moment in my technical sales career when I went to a particularly difficult customer. And this customer insisted to me that he didn't need me or my company's steel products or knowledge because he got 100% on time and zero defect steel from his ordinary suppliers. I call BS. Well, I strive to be ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> I strive to be ordinary. And I said, you know, that's great. So what I'd like to do anyhow just as a technical service, and to better understand and benchmark for us, I'd just like to put one of my metallurgists here for, for a few days. Yeah? Did they let yeah. you? They did. And? They didn't get anything on time. <laughs> the anneals were terrible, and they had more problems in the shop than this particular buyer was even allowed to know. Wow. We became sole supplier there after our second consult. I'll bet. We strove to be ordinary. You strove to be ordinary. Yeah, he got 100% on time and zero defects from his ordinary supplier. Ordinary, so that was the goal. That was that was the goal. So workmanship it has a number of aspects, as you pointed out in your, in your initial query. And so what, what I think workmanship can mean really is the absence of surprises. <laughs> okay. Okay. If I have good workmanship, I don't get surprised. If I have a watch, a fine watch, it doesn't just stop. If I'm timing a race and my watch stops, I'm kind of, you know, I'm in a, in a bad place, right? Yeah. So in order to have good workmanship, we use um, agency standards like ASTM. AISI, SAE, um, you know, um, what's uh, API for pipe, for for line pipe. Yeah. So one example in our industry is ASTM A108. It's a standard specification for cold finished steel, uh, carbon and alloy, in, and it provides standards for workmanship, finish, and product presentation. So what's that mean? Well, what's that mean, and how do we know it when we see it? Is it like porno? <laughs> well, you can't describe it, but you know it when you see it? Well, that's why we have this standard. So we actually call out the as aspects by which it can be known. Okay. So the, the four aspects of workmanship are, does it conform to the specification? In other words, I gave you a, a document of what the requirements are to be in this product for that to be a good delivery. Does it meet 
does, does requirements, specs. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's produced actually by the way I want it. I don't need the witch's coven in the haunted kitchen to poof, here's my part. I need a part that's traceable all the way from, you know, uh, raw material supplier to the final end user. You know, um, it's got to be traceable, not it magically appeared, right? Um, it needs to be free of injurious defects. And the term defect is, I mean, defect is a fighting word. So typically as a customer, we're going to call something a defect. A thing with a defect is a defective. Whereas as a supplier, uh, my preferred language is going to be it's an imperfection until it's proven or shown to be a defect. Shown to be defective in that it actually prevents the product from being used for its intended purpose or fabricated in its intended purpose as well, right? That makes sense. And then the final aspect is I don't want any ghosts in it, right? I don't want any attributes in there that aren't supposed to be. Ah, no surprises. No surprises. So workmanship, you know, quality is the absence of waste in Miles' little world, right? Right. Well, workmanship, good workmanship, is the absence of surprises in the material or product provided. So um, let's see if we can explore this a little better, right? So, and again... As you remember, I don't like to use good. I don't like to use descriptors like good. That's, you know, what's the difference between right. good, good, qualify good that. better, more good or more, more good or better. More, is, yeah, that, your <laughs> English right? teacher's so proud yeah. right now. Yeah, she certainly is. So, <laughs> so in, in this order, if, if we get these four aspects right, the material stays sold. The product works as intended. It's fabricated as intended. And, uh, you know, the economy moves forward. So um, the first first um, aspect of workmanship I'd like to talk about is conformance to specification. Which to me seems like a duh. This is what I asked for. Aren't you going to give it to me? But as you're explaining this, I'm thinking, no, because... Some people might interpret things differently. Well, it's or, not in to interpret. I mean, some people are just motivated to 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 make margin, and so good enough. Well, if I can, you know, if I can use the cheap paint that might have lead, <laughs> but it's cheaper than that stuff that's certified from that expensive company that trades on the New York Stock Exchange for, you know, five hundred times the value. I mean, you know, people are gonna people cut corners. People right. cut corners. So, you know, um, it's not acceptable if it's got lead paint on it. <laughs> so the specs, the, the, spec, the confirmation, that makes sense now. Okay. Right? Yeah, no cutting corners. So our duty as machinists, our duty as engineers, our duty as manufacturers is to make hell and high water. Sure, we understand what that spec says. Right. Right? So if it says ultrasonic testing... We need to understand if it's ultrasonic testing and not eddy current testing, not on the surface. We need to understand that it's going to be shot from one end of the bar to the other, as opposed to all down the whole length of the bar with that ultrasonic test. Or what about could those billets have been ultrasonically tested before they were rolled into bars? Ultrasonic testing is a concept 
we need to understand what it means because once we get the parts made, our investment in time, labor, material, treasure in it, and then somebody says, oh, by the way, were these end shot? Yeah, when we said this, we met blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So contract review is absolutely critical to being able to meet that specification and conform. So what, what's, what are the things you need to be on your guard for, right? Mm-hmm. Is it unclear? Don't just assume ultrasonic testing means, oh, well, they know about it. <laughs> There's a lot of ways to do ultrasonic testing. And they might not even mean ultrasonic. <laughs> like I said, they might mean it. You might be right? using the wrong term. That's right. So mm -hmm. is it unclear? Is it confused? Does it make sense? You know, hot roll bars. Hot roll bars. I, I need, I'm just going to weld it. I just need hot roll bars. Why are they paper wrapped? Huh. Why does the specification say paper wrap on hot roll bars? So the duty is on us as a supplier to resolve anything that's unclear, <laughs> looks a little sketchy, you know, that I can't make sense of it. It's on us because ultimately we're the ones who will not be paid and we'll be the ones they come to for damages when the product isn't provided like their ordinary supplier right. would provide it, right? Zero Listeners, defects. he's got air quotes around ordinary, by the way. Zero defects, 100% on time. So... Conformance to the specification, that's the keystone. That's the foundation of our work because it doesn't matter if we have a jewel-like finish, if it's the wrong material, if it was the wrong type of test, if it was hot roll instead of cold finish. There's just, it, it's got to conform to spec first. Absolutely number one. Okay. And without that, it's rejectable. It's, it, it's rejected. That's right. It's rejected. So then uh, you were saying something about production? Right. So we want it to be produced by the means we expect. And this is particularly tricky in automotive. So? so there are bolts. There are standards for bolts and fasteners, metric and, and imperial units. Mm-hmm. And these standards imply that these bolts will be produced by a cold-headed process. Okay. And they want it cold-headed because that develops more strength mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the product. And it also imparts a different kind of grain flow, which is also uh, supportive of the function of the part. So... The implication on a grade A bolt is that bolt is produced by a heading process. Okay, so there's implications. Yes. There's intentions, and then there's designations. Right. And so many times our members call me. They say, Miles, I, I've got this thing for this grade eight bolt. It's got to meet grade eight properties. And the first thing I say is, do you have customer authorization to make it by machining, by stock removal? Because the standards implies it will be cold, cold fabricated. It will be cold fabricated. Aha. Uh -huh. So that actually kind of rolls into what you were talking about with the specs too, right? Right. It, it all interweaves. Right. But they look at the print. I can make that thread. I can make that length. I can make that finish. I can get that crest rust. Uh, everything's 
everything's fine, except in the fine print. In this paragraph, it says, shall be cold-headed, uh, ostinatized, liquid, quenched, and tempered. And by the way, there are people who say, why don't I buy it preheat treated, and then I can avoid that liquid, quench, and temper stuff. Again, contract review. Makes a difference. Contract review. What is the means intended? So, for instance, you say, well, who cares? It's 100,000 minimum yield. I don't care if the bolt's heat treated or not. That bolt is holding that machine gun on that piece of ordnance. And if it's headed right, the grains are support flow with the threads. It's been austenitized, quen liquid quench and tempered. That is the gold standard. If I heavy draft it to get to 100,000 pounds minimum yield strength, then I do it out of a free machining steel because, you know, it's easier for me to machine. And I put that bolt in, it's going to have no ductility at all. And it's going to shear. And the machine gun's going to be like flying around probably when we want it to be secure and aimed at a single point. Um, that's the basis for the Fastener Quality Control Act back in so the It's a pretty strong argument for it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, contract review. I actually was audited by Defense Department once as a steel supplier. They wanted to see my records for our 100,000 minimum yield equivalent because people were ordering it to make bolts, which were going into military application. And, you know, they're, you know, bad Can't things fit. happen. Yeah. So I, I was happy to show them that I had a practice, I had a template, I had a letter that said, if it's to grade eight, it's got to be liquid quench and tempered. We're not selling you a substitute. It was the shortest audit I ever had. <laughs> All right. And then you said something about defects. Well, I did. Actually, I said absence of injurious defects. and absence... i, I got to ask, what's injurious defects? Well, that's, that's, that's the replacement for good or risk. Oh, <laughs> Okay. That is our descriptor for what it is that, in fact, makes something a defect rather than a mere attribute or characteristic. Okay. So if it's injurious, if it's injurious, it interferes with the intended fabrication or use of the thing. Oh, okay. So if it's harmless and nobody notices it, who cares? Who you know, cares? Right. A little bit of glitter, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> Wow. Okay. Okay. Right? Fix it with glitter. Yeah. On the other hand, if there's a, a, a thin edge of steel that's been folded up in the in the process and you run your hand by it and, and trying to load it in and now you've got stitches on three fingers and you're out of work for Yeah. That that sliver is an injurious defect. Okay. So the okay. absence of those. Abs absence of injurious <laughs> defects. Absolutely. Total um, sense. And so it could interfere. Like I said, with the fabrication, I can't get it into caught because it's outside the dimension. It could be it, it catches on something, and so I can't load it. It could be that it cuts. It cuts through a glove. It cuts through Kevlar gloves. It, it, it could do that. It, it could be that when it peels off, now I've got this big crater in the part, and I, I don't have fit and finish I need for the function of this part. So if, if it can cause harm to a person... If it can interfere with the fit, form, or function, and, and if it can interfit, interfere, interfit, if it can <laughs> interfere with fabrication, I would call that a defect as opposed to a mere imperfection. So here's an imperfection. I normally expect on a high sulfur steel 
I'm going to have a few more surface imperfections than normal. And there's even a standard, and it says there'll be seams, and these seams normally expected, and there'll be one and a half thousandths per each sixteenth of bar diameter, you know. And if I need to be absolutely seam free, I better take a heck of a lot of stock removal. But it's a characteristic. It's not a defect. It doesn't interfere. If it interferes, then specify draw and turn to polish, draw and ground and polish, no seam. That costs money. That actually made sense. <laughs> the mastery <laughs> tour, currently, I'm telling you, if oh I can get people into it. the mills, right, they, they understand. You just have to be there. Yeah, you got to see it because now that, yeah, that all makes sense. All right, so then there, the fourth thing, absence of attributes that weren't specified. Yes. So remember when I got all wild and crazy about quality is the absence of waste. I even wrote an article. We did a podcast. Quality is the absence of waste. We did. Waste. That's all you need to know. Right. right? Quality is the absence of waste. Yeah. What do you think it is when there's a waste present and you don't want it? Lack of quality. Hand me your handbag. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm going to put waste in your handbag. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? No, it's not. No, it's so not. So imagine you're you're expecting these shiny bars to make your medical grade product. Mm-hmm. And they've sat on the top shelf in a warehouse somewhere Ooh. for the last year and a half because these happen to be low nickel. And for some reason, only the high nickel stuff's been selling lately. So... So now we've got these old bars that have been sitting up there on the rafters, and three generations of pigeons <laughs> have nested on your particular bundle. Okay. Well, okay, maybe it's not pigeons. Maybe, maybe. that's a road too far. Maybe it's just heavy caked on dried oil from four years I, I can't even imagine what would be up there. Sludge. It might be both. How about chips? Yeah. Stuff that's been floating around in Maybe the air. Maybe it was by the saw that for dunnage, and it's loaded with sawdust gunk with oil. Okay. Do I want metallic finds in my precision Swiss machine? I'm thinking no. I'm thinking no, right? So the presence of things that we don't expect, don't want, don't enhance the quality of our processor delivery, those are things that should not be included in our in our in our delivery. So this kind of all does roll back to that contract review. You really have to know what the customer wants and expects. And it doesn't necessarily you got to make sure that there's no translation errors on the way. Understanding the end use Carly, that's that's the first part of contract review. Understanding the application and the customer's vision is as important as understanding all the explicit requirements that was on that document. Those, mm-hmm. those explicit requirements are there for a reason. Right. But if I don't understand it's medical and I just bought this stuff off some guy that had a great deal on discounted medical grade stuff from his cart. Right. Right? Right? Workmanship is as much based on the quality of our communication with our customer Mm -hmm. and our understanding of what the customer says as it is on any of this technical engineering stuff that I go on about. (laughs) It's, It's really about connecting 
you need to connect and align with your customer. If your intent isn't to give them what they exactly need, you probably shouldn't be selling to them because something will will not be there. Right. You you've got to be aligned, and that's that's the importance. So workmanship to me is alignment. You understand the customer's needs, and you absolutely do everything in your power to understand and deliver those customers' needs, explicit and implied. So that communication is almost a, a fifth element of workmanship. So the fish. So nobody ever asks the fish, how's the water, boys? Communication is our process for delivering workmanship. We think our process is machining to make parts, but communication between us as suppliers and our customers, that's the true process that guarantees that we achieved a workmanship desire. That wraps up today's podcast on workmanship in precision machining. Thank you for joining us. For additional information, please visit pmpa.org, where you can also search for articles, webinars, podcasts, and other resources. Yes, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast because you don't want to miss one. And if you aren't already taking advantage of PMPA membership, be sure to check out pmpa.org to see all we have to offer. And why is a PMPA membership important, Carly? Because Because we we are better better together. together. Don't forget to join us Monday on Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles.